interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is The Carrie Edelman Show. Welcome to The Carrie Edelman Show. I am so excited today as we have the amazingly talented, award-winning playwright, Brett Neveu, joining us momentarily. So before I bring him on, I always like to do a brief introduction to my show and uh, just, of course, mention some of the people I've had on the show that I've been honored to interview um, over the past few years since I started the show. So some of the interviewees I've had on my show include comedian and head writer for Seinfeld, Peter Melman, co-creator of The Daily Show and former David Letterman TV producer, Madeline Smithberg, New York Times bestselling author, Jennifer Kishan Armstrong, award-winning cartoonist and illustrator for The New Yorker, Bob Eckstein, and CEO of Pavement Entertainment, Mark Nawara, who actually is from Chicago. So I don't know if Brett uh, has ever heard of him, but um, he's got some amazing artists on his uh, record label. So a little bit about my show. I always do a brief introduction. Um, I started the show several years ago because I really wanted to support people in the entertainment industry, whether it's writers, musicians, comedians, to just really get into an in-depth interview with their background and, and bring a different side to storytelling, so to speak. I do a lot of research on my guests, and I really want to do a different style of interview. It's not a cookie-cutter interview where I'm just kind of throwing out some basic questions. I also have a background in clinical psychology. That's what my doctorate degree is in. So I just so much enjoy interviewing people, learning about people, and, and really bringing out the best that I can in the guests that I have on my show. Um, although I mentioned I'm a clinical psychologist, my show is an entertainment show. We're not going to be doing therapy, but uh, my guests do sometimes like to bring topics up in a general format. So I'll be more than happy to talk about stuff, especially if it's in an educational fashion. And I know from Brett's background and some of the plays he's done, they definitely uh, will bring some psychological components to the uh, surface here. So if you're tuning in, create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. Now let's do a nice introduction for Brett, and we will bring him on. As I mentioned, he's an award-winning playwright. His plays have been featured at a Red Orchid Theater, the Royal Court Theater, Manhattan Theater Club, and Stephen Wolf Theater Company, to name a few. His recent theater productions include The Malignant Ampersands, Verboten, and Traitor. And some of his film and TV productions include Eric LaRue with director Michael Shannon and Night's End with director Jennifer Reeder, which is uh, currently available on Shutter AMC if you want to check that out. In addition to his work as a playwright, he's also a senior lecturer for screen and stage writing at Northwestern University. And he is a singer-songwriter for the indie rock band The Last Afternoons. So without further ado, let's bring Brett on. Hi, can you hear me? Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure Absolutely, to talk to you. Brett. <laughs> so I always like to, if you've, I don't know if you listen to any of my interviews, but I always like to start out kind of from the beginning, going way back when, when uh, you were a kid growing up. And um, sure. before we start, again, I want to just, again, commend you. You are extremely talented, and, and I'm hoping we can even scratch the surface today with your background in playwriting and screenwriting and being a professor, singer, songwriter, and the list probably goes on and on. Um, but to start, let's tell me a little bit about growing up in Newton, Ohio, Iowa. That's where you were growing up as a kid, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. My folks, uh, my dad is from Louisiana. My dad's Cajun, and my mom 
is from New Mexico. She's uh, Puerto Rican. And uh, they met when my dad was in uh, the Air Force when he was stationed in uh, in, in uh, Roswell, New Mexico, actually. Okay. Uh, home of the aliens. And uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, 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 they moved to California and they moved to Atlanta. And um, I was born in California. I was born in San Pablo, California, which is like a little suburb of San Francisco. Oh. And then they, my dad got a job and moved to Atlanta, was there for a short time, and then through some job circumstances with him, he ended up taking a job in central Iowa. Neither one of them had seen snow before, and they moved in like a blizzard and um, moved into a town that Newton's about a town of about 15,000 people, and it's just about 30 miles east of Des Moines. Uh, the former home of Maytag, which where um, all the factories were, and so it was like a little blue-collar town in the middle of a cornfield, uh, a bunch of cornfields, and, and my folks just headed there. My dad was a uh, – he sold um, animal health products uh, for, like, farms and things like that through uh, uh, Shell Corporation uh, – the actual Shell Corporation, not a Shell, Shell Corporation. And right. uh, my mom uh, was, a, was a homemaker at the time and then eventually got some, some other jobs. But we moved there, and um, that's my first memories – are of snow, are wow. of being okay. out in the snow. And, and as a result, um, I ended up being a Midwesterner um, with, a, with a, a family full of uh, people who are not <laughs> from the Midwest at all, except my, my mom and dad. And so I grew up there. Uh, and um, and, uh, and while you're talking, and thank yeah, you, you're, you're answering a lot of my questions right away. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. This, so you've already filled in oh, a sure. lot of the blanks. Um, but yeah, so you had, you know, how many, while you're talking about your family, you have a sister? Is it just one sister you have, or do you have other yeah, siblings? Just, no, just the one sister, Terry. She's a year older than me. Uh, okay. And, uh, and so we were both there. She lives in Des Moines now, so she, she didn't go too far um, after, after college. We both went to the University of Iowa. And then, uh, and so, yeah, she's just, she's a year older than me. Okay. And is she also, is she in any type of arts or entertainment or what is, if you don't mind me asking, and if you don't want to answer, that's <laughs> no. fine too. <laughs> no, I'm the, I'm the only one that, I'm the only one in this entire family uh, that we have who's, who's in, in that field. And I, I mean, I honestly couldn't exactly tell you where that came from. My sister, she works with her husband for a, 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 little, a little company that, that makes promotional, promotional items for other companies. And, um, okay. and, but she, but growing up, she was, she was a straight A student. She was a writer, all this other stuff. And, um, I was, I did theater. I was like an actor type in high school and in college, okay. but I didn't really start writing until maybe like, uh, later in my, in my, in my high school years. And mostly as a response to my sister getting some attention for writing. And I was like, well, I want, I want that. <laughs> right. Definitely. Because I'm not very good at school. And so, okay. Maybe, well, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll talk I about, I definitely want to delve into yeah. that a little bit. Um, well, and speak, okay, so your sister was definitely, like you said, she's the straight A student. She's writing. When yeah. when you were a little kid growing up, what were types of TV shows? Like pulling some of that stuff, films, plays, comics, things like that, oh, that boy. you might have been interested in um, that might have sparked this writing and acting well, interest was, later in life? I was real lucky. I mean, I, I, again, I'm, I watched a lot of TV. I guess it's in my thing. It's really lucky I watched a lot of TV. But I guess in a weird way it is. My dad, because of his job, he traveled a lot. He was gone five days a week. 
pretty much travel in the Midwest. He had all these uh, people he would, he would be calling on. And uh, my mom um, was was working too eventually. Or I just I just really I just really loved watching TV. I loved watching cartoons. And Scooby Doo was a, a big deal in my mm-hmm. life. Um, and uh, and anything actually anything on anything on television. Basically, my childhood was any candy and any television. I wanted both those things. And did I didn't say, them always. <laughs> the did you say candy? Candy and TV. What candy. type of candy was, did you I like? Was, um, I, you, uh, my buddy Rick Sparks, who was on not too long ago on your show. Yeah. Uh, we, we, his wife and my wife and I sat around. And we, for one, one evening, we talked about candy, just all sorts of different candies. Oh, that's awesome. Ones we liked, <laughs> one, one we didn't. And ones we liked, ones we didn't. And I was the only person that everything they mentioned, I ate. I didn't, there was not a candy I didn't like. There was not a dessert I didn't like. And so I was a bit okay. of an, uh, 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 I, I guess, a complete sugar addict back then. Um, and uh, and then also television. I was a television addict. I just, like, I love so, watching so it. Real, I would say, real quick, Brett. So what candies do you yeah. like? We want to we wanna hear about Brett. So what do you, what, name, you wanna, name you three of them. What, what, yeah, well, what do you like? <laughs> well, I can't eat them now. Okay. <laughs> I have a I have an issue with my my body where I can't break down um, fructose, and so um, anything with sugar. Well, back in, in the day, I can't eat. Back in the day, I will. I can't even say. I mean, I love jelly beans. Okay. I love well. Any, honestly, I it, it all is just one word, and the word is candy. And okay. there's no okay. real differentiation for me. It is just sweets. It's all okay. sweets any sweets. And so that's where I lived. I lived in like anything I could do to scrounge together some change to buy some candy. Uh, I would do it. I remember my sister and I once had a, uh, a little like lemonade stand and uh-huh. when we were done, we had enough money for us to go to down, ride our bikes down to the, the high V little grocery store down the street and buy, we bought two boxes each of like the most sugary cereal that you can imagine. <laughs> And we just went home and ate. Nice. Aw. <laughs> so that. Nice. Well, that but, was but interesting to learn because I didn't. Again, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of background <laughs> on you, so that I couldn't go through every single thing. But I don't think oh, I saw anything no. about candy. Okay. So no, I don't think I, don't to, think I go around mentioning mentioning candy act, addiction much. Yeah. But um, going back to TV shows and stuff, just again list a couple that you were. I mean, were they? Sitcoms, comedies, Saturday Night Live. What types of things? Films. I, what were well, you? certainly, certainly, I could. Uh, let me. I'll talk about Saturday Night Live first, and I'll talk about two other shows that influenced. But certainly, Saturday Night Live. My folks would play Pinochle with uh, the Ron and Arlene Miller across the street, and um, we they'd take us with them, and they would play like one or two in the morning on Saturday nights with with them, and they'd you know, have some beers and play Pinochle and my sister and I would sit out in the basement and watch TV and so the first ever episode of Saturday Night Live I was watching that because I was down in the, in the basement at the Miller's house watching Saturday Night Live and I was what did I was like six six years old five years old mm-hmm. and um it it uh it was like I I found my thing as a kid I I was blown away I was completely absorbed by Gilda Radner Specifically, and right, uh, wow. specifically, and um, they did that sketch, the nerds, and I would laugh my butt off. 
just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And um, I loved I loved sketches. And so those sketches really influenced the way I thought. Uh, certainly my reasons for moving to Chicago, which we can talk about later. And, but the two shows that had the biggest influence on me were um, something my mom let me watch. I don't know why. I think she just said, oh, these are just television shows. There are like any other television shows. But the first one was Hill Street Blues. Um, okay. So that came out in like in 1980, 81, something like that. So I was still a kid. And I had been like anticipating the show. I loved police procedural type shows, the hour longs, emergency, Adam 12. And this one looked different. This one looked like real. And I was a kid living mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere, pretty much. And watching that show was like, uh, it just infected me. It, the writing, the, the, the way it moved, it's, both its violence and its acting and its caring and its, and its mm-hmm. location, it, the city, it, just, it, was, it was so visceral. And I was obsessed with it. Um, and then the other show was, was another show that was the, was the Hell Street Blues in the Hospital, which was St. Elsewhere. And um, both those shows could not get enough of. For, and for St. Elsewhere, that would be the, the one that I eventually just fill in my mind is one of the reasons that I write. Just okay. the, uh, the, the weirdness that happens to happen on that show, the, the language, realizing eventually the playwrights that I loved wrote for that show, um, the acting. Uh, it was just, and, and, and it was surprising every week. I would uh, strangely like base my mood on if the show was good or good or not. That's like something strange a kid does. But, um, and I'm and nobody. I mean, not that anybody knew that, but um, maybe that's the first time I even said that aloud. But um, but I, both those shows were were for me pathways. Okay. To, um, okay. No, thank you for sharing life. that. That's you know I'm familiar with them. Unfortunately, I can I can't comment much because I never really watched them I mean I'm familiar with the titles and the names of them and stuff but but no that's that's great because that definitely you can see that theme like you said especially with your plays and just the different layers to them with you know the drama violence sometimes the family relationships all the dynamics I mean you can clearly see that stuff um you know playing out in writing it's yeah it's dialogue and it's words and it's it's interpersonal communication and that was the difference. If you watch like Adam 12, it's so basic and, or Marcus Welby and the, these shows from the sixties and seventies that were mm-hmm. these procedurals. And I, I teach a procedural class at Northwestern from all this probably, uh, that it was just the, just mm-hmm. the facts, ma'am, you know, like a dragnet, uh, just the facts. And those two shows, Philistry <laughs> Blues and, and Stan Elsewhere weren't just the facts. They were like more, they were, they were, they were great people. Actually, everybody's lives were so complicated and that felt like my life. That felt like the lives of people that I knew. And there were people also of color on those shows. And I, those were people that I also knew in my family. And I'm like, oh, right. And I, I don't think I thought as a kid, oh, rep- representation. But I, in growing up in Newton, I just didn't, didn't see too many people. Right. Uh, no, uh, that makes sense with like, like yeah. Like that. People like my mom and I just didn't see it, or, and, and suddenly there, there, there were people. I mean, on both those shows, that uh, it, it made sense to me. Okay. Yeah, that's that's and and that's so important, especially. I mean, we will delve into that today, but no, just the representation and having that today. I mean, it, yeah. it's just so important. 
So, no, that's great that you had an opportunity just to see a, a glimmer of it when you were really little. Um, yeah, yeah. In, and, yeah. In terms of what was interesting to read about you, too, is that, you know, a lot of your specialties include, um, which, again, unless I did my research, I wouldn't have known, include horror and sci-fi. So if you can, is there any, again, as a kid growing up, were there any horror movies that inspired you, you know, especially some of the older ones that were, oh, gosh, I'm a huge fan of horror back in the day. Um, you know, and they're good today, too, but I'm kind of a little, I don't know, I don't want to say snobbish, but when I watch horror movies now, it's like, it, it takes a certain level to kind of for me to walk away and say, wow, that was great, you know? Um, so what oh, sure. can you recall back as a little kid in terms of any horror movies that inspired you or that you were like, wow? One thing that we talk about in class uh, is that when you watch a horror, or you, you, you watch a horror film or you television show or anything like that, if you, had a, if you have a good time watching it, if there's some associated good time with it, it gets stuck in your head. I mean, it literally gets stuck in, your, in, in a part of your brain that you want, and you want to replicate that experience. And I had that with my dad. And like I said, my dad wasn't around all the mm-hmm. time. Um, he, was, he was busy working and, and, and stuff. And so I remember watching this terrible movie called uh, Bug. Not the bug that uh, Mike Shannon's in, but it was a movie about bugs that caught on fire. And it was on TV, okay. and we're in the basement. And, then, and the bugs would catch on fire, and then they would catch everything on fire, people on fire. They were malicious fire-starting bugs, these big, giant cockroaches. And I watched that with my dad, and I was frightened out of my mind. And, um, and, but also having a great time. I was, watching, I was like doing this thing with my dad. My dad was having a good time. I was having a good time. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this, this is something. This is this is something that um, we can that we can sh- that we're sharing. This is it's it's not like watching a football game or something. It's really different. And then not soon after that, um, there was a miniseries of uh, Salem's Lot, the Stephen King's book, uh, mm-hmm. Stephen King's Stephen King's book. Yeah, and um, we watched that together as a family. <laughs> the family we were watching okay. Salem's Lot, and I think we even might might have watched it with the people I mentioned before, the Millers, uh, right? Miller. We might have watched some of that over there at their house on their little TV in the basement. And we all had a great time. There's some really scary stuff on there. Kids scratching on a window out, out, outside another kid's window. It's vampires and stuff. It, we should not, maybe we should not have been watching it age six years old. This, I'm starting to realize that maybe it was lots of inappropriate stuff by folks let us watch. <laughs> we probably shouldn't have or participated in. But those two, those two things for sure. And then my dad accidentally bought me the graphic novel for the movie Alien. When, when the movie Alien came out, mm-hmm. uh, we were down in Arizona visiting uh, family. Uh, and we were at a bookstore, and I, I found it. And, my, and I'm like, Dad, can I get this? He's like, yeah, sure, get it. And then <laughs> I got it home, and it was the most graphic thing. <laughs> Blood and violence and all this crazy stuff in there. And I was like, what is this? And my right. mom was like, get, take that away from that kid and so he did but i i remember finding it in a stack in my room um whether it had been given back to me or they just said oh you know he's already looked at it once <laughs> right let him have it, it all the time. so all that stuff and then lastly dracula i love dracula um the, the movie dracula i had a uh a, a cut out of dracula on my like a halloween cut out of a mm-hmm. life-size dracula on my 
door as a as a kid on the outside of my door so I could shut my door when I went to bed. Right. But on the outside of my it. door, there was Dracula. And so I was I was obsessed with Halloween, Scooby Doo, like I said. Nice. And all this nice. stuff. I mean I have a, a, a obsessive personality and maybe an obsessive disorder, but uh it, I do really um and it's something that's lasted such a long time. It's just a part of my brain at this point that these uh these elements the way that story is built the way that I, that I tell stories um falls in line often with uh ghost stories the way ghost stories are structured the way fantasy stories are structured um that's just where i i i i live within genre um no matter what i work on it sort of is about that it's either a discussion of genre or within the framework of genre and so um, all of that just comes from that. And I would also say, I'm sitting here talking a lot. Now you know what it's like to be in a classroom with me. Um, and so, yeah, it's fine. Uh, my, my, my mom also would tell a, uh, my grandma, who's from uh, Ponce, Puerto Rico, uh, she moved here from, uh, from Ponce uh, with my grandfather. Uh, she was a World War II. They met during World War II, the station in, in Puerto Rico. They moved to uh, Arizona, New Mexico, and um, they moved to a house in Mesilla, New Mexico. And she would tell a, a story about a woman, a ghost in that house. Uh, okay. This woman uh, who had a butcher knife and some stuff like that. Oh, gosh. Uh, and I would, I was, from that, that's probably the first sort of memory I have about this kind of stuff. And she would tell us that story, and it would scare the daylights out of me. My mom yeah. would have a story and scare the daylights out of me. They would both sit there and tell us the story, this story about this ghost. And it, the thing is, too, it it seemed culturally, with my okay. with my mom with my mom's side of the family, that none of that was was off limits. It was just part of life. The spiritual mm-hmm. and the the and and sort of just living life were just combined. And so crystal balls, tarot cards, Ouija boards. All that stuff was just the norm, and telling ghost stories to children is what you did. And so it didn't seem any, it didn't seem odd to me. It just seemed um, exciting. Mm-hmm. No, interesting. Thank you for sharing that. No, I mean it definitely brings to light again a lot of your background and where you are today with the stuff that you do. Um, so if you want to talk a little bit about, too, any interest, I know you teach a course, which is interesting, in some type of gaming or video games. So while we're tying in, again, all these <laughs> these pieces of you as a, you know, as a young child growing up, what uh, gaming systems did you play as a little kid? What ones were you interested? What type oh of God. games were you playing? <laughs> well, it, 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 this, the, the, all of this just stretches back to, like, the mid-70s early 80s for sure um mm-hmm. my 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 personal obsessions and this, this weird little imaginative bubble i lived lived in and in some ways still kind of live in um but we were on another trip maybe this is part of the like the the magic of childhood too we we're on a trip and we were stopped at a gas station to get gas that's what you do when you stop the gas station and <laughs> there was a uh video game there a game called sub uh uh sea hunt where you shot um, uh, uh, missiles at submarines. It was the most basic game. And it was a video game, but it was a video game. And I mm-hmm. saw that thing, and I'm like, what is this? 
And my dad's like, here, he gave me some quarters or whatever, how much it cost, nickel. And I was, I was in. I was in from that moment. I was in. And I, uh, my dad had gotten a, a, the most basic Pong machine, you know that thing where you, like. Yeah, no, I remember hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh-huh. ball back and forth. Yeah. His, his company was giving those away as a promotion. And so my dad got one for free and brought that home. And we all played that forever and then and then for one christmas uh i got an atari 2600 with little cartridges nice. and the space invaders and all that kind of stuff and from that moment on i was pretty much uh double in from sea okay. or from uh, yeah sea hunt to, to atari and so um the the idea of melding story and video games had already been a, a big part of my thinking because story for video games had been such a, a joke for such a long time. There really wasn't any story. They kind of manufactured stories in the game manuals mm-hmm. and things like that. And the writing, I mean, we don't often think of writers, now more these days, uh, or narrative designers as a part of video game writing, but now it's it's a big deal. And screenwriters and playwrights, television writers, they cro- there's, there's cross-pollination among all of that. Yeah, it's so cool. Writers. It's all becoming kind of one. And if you take a look at like stuff like the Mandalorian um, or any of a lot of the, or any of the Marvel shows, things like that, that they, they their use of video projection, mm-hmm. video game narrative, side quest, all that kind of stuff. It's all melding. And so that's where that comes from. It's just an interest that, that grows into how can I, how can I learn how to incorporate the skills that I have toward either teaching or making something that um, that is interesting to me. That's so cool. And when you say that, I like the, that term you use, cross pollination. That's interesting. But it's you know you don't even think about it. Like what musicians, like in bands and stuff, like you know you hear their music in these different types of video games or like what you're talking about, and you don't really think about oh I could set out to potentially do that. You know what I mean? You think music mm-hmm. is in maybe yeah. just kind of one lane, so to speak. But it's like no, there's all this crossover opportunities so that's really no, cool to hear you the la- talk the lanes about are being the lanes are being erased i mean this is this, this mm-hmm. for example like a podcast like a podcast like this um your your psychology and your interviewing stuff I, I love that how you introduce it like it's it's there's there's I'm, I'm a psychologist but this is an entertainment <laughs> entertainment podcast but the mixture of the two gives there's a certain amount of freedom and so the the, the lanes being erased creates something different and that thank you the the that's the thing that we can all hope for is, ah, uh, you know, if I, if I just keep doing this one thing, I'm going to lose interest right. or I'm going to, uh, or if, if, or I'm going to maybe start making some mistakes because I'm, I'm losing focus. I'm looking over here. I'm interested in something now. Um, I'm always very curious about other stuff, things that I don't know much about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll have a little bit of interest in, I do know there's, there's things I if I have a little bit of knowledge about it, that's actually all I have. <laughs> I'll stay out of the, the like, here's the way you should do that. I just want to listen. I just want to take right. it in and, Same with and me. then erase those lines so we can all, we can all, we can all, all work together and, and play together. Um, yeah. So we can bring our ideas, our skills into the, into the form or into the form. Um, no, I think that's creation. such an it, important it way to sense. think about things. Because, you know, I think a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people get stuck in their ways or they think, oh, I'm an expert in this. And, 
you know, I never yeah. take that approach. I love working with people that are smarter than me, more talented than me. That's my opportunity to learn and grow. Um, yeah. and, and each day, even in my, you know, I work in corrections as a clinical forensic psychologist, but been doing it for a while. And, and every day I walk in as if it's a new opportunity to learn something new um, or to, you know, just redevelop something that I've already done, you know, to expand something or shift my, you know, ship set, so to speak. So, yeah, no, I definitely think yeah. the same lines and that you do. There's a program at Northwestern, speaking of corrections, uh, the Northwestern Prison Education Program that I taught at right before COVID. And, oh, neat. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Rebecca Gilman, who, who taught, used to teach at Northwestern, uh, she was leaving and she was like, hey, do you want to teach over here? And it was a class I, at, at Stateville Prison for some of uh, the students there. And um, I just taught TV writing. I taught how to write a TV pilot, the same class I would teach at Northwestern. Cool. And it was a 10-week class. And um, the students had to, I taught the students how to you know, create a, uh, a pilot outline all this other stuff, how to think about it critically, how to think of it uh, creatively. And um, that, just being open to that experience changed the way that I teach, changed the way that I write, the things that I think about wow. um, as I'm writing, the, the way that I approach my students. Um, but like you said, like if I can take, because I, in the same way that you're, you're talking about, I mean, <laughs> Knowing every time I approach the script, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I doing? I mean, I, I do, but I don't. You, you know, I right. think you probably know what I mean. You like, well, I, yeah, we because I mean, you've been doing this end. so long, but, but still to have that genuine, kind of authentic, grounded quality. Again, you know what you're doing, Brett. I mean, we, we'll get to it, but you well, know, you the know, awards it's, it's that you've earned. Like, and... <laughs> yeah, the perspective, the perspective is different because I don't know how to write this thing, I'm, this thing. I wrote the. Right. I could figure out how to. I, and it, it, I know how to write, pretty much, um, but I don't know how to write this thing exactly to get it right the way that I can feel, not the way right. that it sounds or eventually perform. But I want it to like that. And, and an example would be this. Um, there's a, a new project I'm, t- I'm I'm starting to think about um, with my uh, uh, my coll- uh, collaborator friend of mine, uh, Jason Arducci, who. Um, we wrote Little Boat and, uh, together, mm-hmm. the House Theater did the musical, and we're like, oh, let's, we should think about a new musical. And I was thinking about a new idea, and um, a person I've worked with, I don't even know, maybe 20, 30 times on projects, my friend Tanya Palmer, who was the um, director of new play development over at Goodman for a long time. They now work at, at Northwestern, uh, doing some stuff over there. Um, yesterday we had breakfast. And I just sat across and from her and just we hashed we just kind of hashed through a story maybe for this. Not that she's like gonna write it or I don't even know what I'm thinking, but I mm-hmm. I felt like I'm curious about this idea. I just don't know how to execute it. I mean, I just need to talk to somebody about it. Um, and a little bit like therapy, you know, like, yeah, you're like no. I know there's something bug I know there's something bugging me. I just don't know where it is inside of my head or inside right. my heart. Exactly. And so you, who are who have this amazing skill as a dramaturg, help. Can you help me analyze this? And and she did. And I I got I got a few steps closer to uh, what cool. it might be. So that kind of that's stuff. awesome. Um, yeah. 
No, yeah. So, I mean, if you want to just briefly tie that in now, I was going to bring it up, or we could talk about it later, but definitely verbatim was just a really interesting, you know, play to read about that that you did with Jason Arducey. And just, just the irony of how, you know, this guy you met through the PTA at school, and then, you know, you're watching Dave Grohl's <laughs> Sonic Highways, which I have to say, I, I, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Howard Stern, and, and he's had Dave Grohl on so many times, and I know they were promoting that a while back. But if you want to just tie that in a little bit now, just how that came about, oh, and sure. you can, you know, weave that in now well, and then like, save some space yeah. for later. <laughs> this is typically Jason's story. I usually like, I, I like to listen to him tell it. Uh, um, but it, he and I met at a fundraiser um, for the school, the, the, the elementary school that our kids used to go to. And um, we were both uh, like running this um, wheel of fortune sort of thing where you put some tickets in on something. And um, strangely, ironically, it was like an 80s-themed 80s themed, um, uh, benefit. And so we're just talking and talking, and um, he's telling me what what he what he's been doing. I think that I had no, that's not true. I met him super briefly through his wife Emily when we we were working on this benefit on like doing computer stuff. I'm trying to get all these uh, things logged in, and I I knew he was uh, in a band. I and then I started to learn some other stuff, and then I was watching that show that you mentioned, Sonic Highways. And suddenly Dave Grohl is talking about Jason, who lives what, three, four blocks from me. Right. I'm like, what? <laughs> that uh, Dave Grohl's cousin Tracy was in a band when Jason was 11 with Jason. Tracy was in a band mm-hmm. with Jason, a band called Verboten with a couple other guys. They were distant kids. And they were a little, little punk rock band in 1982, 83. And uh, they were playing. They were like playing out. Tracy was a little go-getter. And they, they, were, they were playing Cubby Bear and some other places. And uh, Dave and his family were in town in, in Evanston. And they went to go – or in uh, somewhere in, in Evanston and um, went to go see them rehearse, see Verboten rehearse. And Dave heard – the band play, Verboten play, and was like, oh, my God. I see my future before me, basically. is what he, how he described That's it. crazy. And, uh, and so he still credits Verboten as being the, like the inspiration for his mm-hmm. uh, career, his thinking for his life. He's had a whole chapter in his book, his new book, uh, 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 devoted to Verboten. And so anyway, I, I actually was sitting there watching this. I kind of looked around. There's nobody in my house but me looking around like, is anybody else thinking this is an idea? And so um, I, I asked Jason, I said, what would you ever think of like this being like a, this, some, some, the story of your band being a, a musical? And he's like, are you insane? And uh, I'm like, no, I think it's the thing. He's like, oh, it's I've really never cool. done anything like that before. And so we talked about it, we talked about it, we talked about it, and I pitched it to the house theater company um, and, uh, and Nate Allen over there. And um, and he was like immediately, he's like, yeah, that sounds like something we would do. And so we just started to work on it. And um, Jason writing the lyrics and the songs and, that, and then me writing the, the book about, about a one, the one night that they went to go, the, 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 myth, the mythical night they went to go play the Cubby Bear. It's, it's, a, it's a fable version of their, of their lives. I think they call it a punk rock fable okay. um, musical. And um, it, it, it just kind of came together. It took... I say came together. It took five years 
to get oh, us wow. uh, okay. to the place of production. But that's that's pretty typical for musicals. It just takes a really okay. long time to get to that place. And um, we did it at the Chopin. It was a big old hit. Um, the songs are fantastic. Um, this cast was amazing. The, the the set looked like a big shag rug covered basement. Everything was covered in <laughs> orange awesome. shag. Right. And it was a scrappy scrappy little thing that we did. And um, it was it, 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 the only thing that closed it was COVID. And um, otherwise, we would have, we would have probably been running for quite a long time. That's it. I mean, congratulations! You got you got a award for that too, right? I mean, for new work. Yes, the one? Steinberg yeah. new, play, new, new new play award. We 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 won Congrats. that. I think in twenty twenty. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's cool. I'm glad we tied that in. Now we could again, we can you know weave it in later on if other things come up. Um, just real quick, and then we'll get into your writing and school and stuff like that, a couple other quick things. Were you ever, since you were clearly interested in, you know, video games and film, were you ever interested in art? Were you a kid who liked to draw or do anything like that or, or no? Yeah, cartoons. I, I mean, that's one of the things that Rich and I, Rich Sparks, my, my best friend, who lives down the street and we're in a band mm-hmm. together and have been working on stuff forever. Um, that's one of the things. When I first met him, he was in a little band called Love Kit. Uh, in, in the city, and they were, you know, they were drawing crowds and stuff like that, but I didn't know he could draw. I didn't know he was a cartoonist, and right. I have a number of friends who are cartoonists, but I tend to try to, uh, when I meet somebody and they can do something that I would love to be able to be good at, I'm like, I want to be your friend because you can do that thing, like play guitar, <laughs> or, uh, or, you know, or act, or, you know, all of this stuff. Um, I, I want to be that person's friend because I, I just want to be around them because they're, they're so cool mm-hmm. and creative. And so I, I I can draw some cartoons, but my wife is the artist. My wife. I know. Is I wanted to, and I wanted to compliment. Yeah, I wanted. To, I looked. I have to look at more of her stuff, but I love her stuff, especially some of those. The it looks like more acrylic type of stuff with the the ducks or the. I don't. I'm not yeah, sure what it, I have, <laughs> Oh, I love them. Um, oh, that's. I love yeah. whimsy type of stuff. I mean, I have a little background in art too, and but I really love her work. So let her know that she's it's great what she I does, totally. and she does a lot of pottery that's, too, that's, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, photography. She, she, no, she no, does. no. She worked in no, photography. Potter, pottery, right? Oh no, no, no pottery, no pottery. That oh, okay. might have been a friend of hers. They recently, they recently did like a group show together. Oh, maybe that was it. Okay, uh, uh, probably that. But um, yeah, her name is Kristen Nephew. And she's a fin- and she's a fantastic visual artist who's painting forever and does abstracts and then recently has been doing these ducks. I think it's because we we live up north um, near Wisconsin now and we live on a little lake and then, so we see ducks all the time and so she's like I'm uh, now I'm a little obsessed with ducks and so uh, <laughs> anything that can bring bright bright shiny um, beautiful life into uh, our world um, she does and it's the uh, there are these beautiful paintings that often look like fields of flowers or these mm-hmm. a- abstracts that are just, that just are so uh, engaging. And then, and then also these ducks recently. And then, and you think about ducks, they don't look like ducks necessarily. They're, they're like, um, I don't even know. Uh, yeah. Exactly I know what you how mean. to describe it's them. Hard they're, to describe they're beautiful, it. whimsical, whimsical ducks. So, yeah. Uh, but as far as art goes in the same way, I said, before she used to ask me, "Hey, how does, is, it, is this look? Does this need anything?" And I'd say, "Oh, sure, this and blah blah blah." And she goes, "No," she'd say, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh my God, I don't know what I'm talking about. I really don't. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm pretending like I do, or I think I might, 
but no, not anymore. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not the, I'm not an artist. And she taught me that for sure. If I don't, if I don't really know, then my ideas might be really bad and generally are. I have bad ideas and I should just keep my mouth shut. And so as far as art goes, I am interested, but I don't know anything. Okay. <laughs> so when I, it, I, but I, I like to, I, but I do like to go to see stuff. Sure. Now, when it comes to Rich, um, and, and real quick, just, just if you can give a bullet, how did you, how did you guys, I know we spoke briefly about it, but again, similar to your interview and his, I wanted to kind of keep it in the lane, so oh, to sure. speak, of, of your professions. But how did, quickly, how did you guys meet? And then I want to hear what you think of um, the stuff that he does, because I'm telling you, when I found him online, Brett, I was just like, I've got to interview <laughs> this guy. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I have to do it in a professional way. But I seriously go to his page and I told him this every day, like before I go to bed or after work, just to see what did Rich do today? <laughs> He's a maniac. Uh, we met, like I said, we met at a, at a, at a, at a rock show. He was in a, in a band. I had known oh, this right. guy, That's Eddie right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, I had, I was working at a talent agency at the time. I was a receptionist at a talent, talent agency. Okay. Elise Davidson and Associates, which was a, a big deal back then. Um, and, um, and Eddie, uh, was is an actor, and he was uh, exclusive at Harris's, at Harris's, meaning he that's where his his one agency was in Chicago. You could have like multiple agencies, but you would sign exclusive if you were cool okay. enough. And so I met Eddie, and Eddie and I hit it off. Another guy, Scott Lowell, who's a friend of Eddie's, he and I hit it off. And then um, I want and I I I, I love music. Uh, uh, used to be like in a little duo back in college, and I had sort of fallen off and writing music and things. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, you should come see, come see this band, come see our band. And I, I remember listening to them. I had a CD and they were, I was like, this is exactly the kind of stuff I'm into. It's, it was, it was, uh, uh, pop, pop punk, power pop stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool indie music. And so I went, uh, to lounge acts, um, place that used to be, I think on Lincoln. And um, saw them, and I was like, oh, this is great. And, and I got to talking to the band and then talking to Rich, uh, too. And I'm like, and immediately we're like, oh, we're, we're the same person. Um, and this was 30 years ago, almost. Wow. Years ago. Oh, that's awesome. And um, we just started, we just, we just really hit it off. We gravitate to each other at parties. At, we go to Simon's and Andersonville all the time. We talk there. We laughed our butts off, as we continue <laughs> to do. We just did two nights ago, um, sat around in his garage <laughs> and laughed our butts off but, um, awesome. and argued about the, whether luck is real. We had a big argument about whether luck is a real thing. Oh, I wish stuff. I lived closer but, uh, to you guys. I, I want to hang out with you guys. <laughs> lots, of, lots of shouting. Lots of shouting um, oh, as we were funny. supposed to be rehearsing. Um, but uh, we started doing other stuff. We did a little online comic. We did um, some, some stuff like that. Uh, and then we, and then after Love Kit split up, I said, "Hey, you want to form a little band with me?" And and he's like, "Yeah, let's do that." Um, and so we, from that moment on, we've just been playing music together um, in various various bands, and and uh, as duo recently, and then bands for years and years and years and years and years, writing songs and writing songs and writing songs, and cool. just having a, a a good time, spending time together, and also making other stuff too. We make all sorts of stuff, so. It's just um, we we great. come up with seems things like a to great do. friendship and professional relationship yeah. and yeah. Now 
and tie this in real quick so we can then move forward. Did you, growing up as a sure. kid, were, did you play any instruments? I mean, in terms of, you know, of course, you're, <laughs> you know, pretty much the front man along with, I know you, you do kind of back and forth vocals with um, Rich in the last afternoons. But um, did you grow up taking any musical lessons, singing lessons, play any instruments? I was in choir, and I, I, I liked to sing. And um, I, uh, I took guitar for a little bit and then the guy teaching me guitar like split town and that was that. Mm. Uh, I guess there was, I guess in my town there was only one person playing guitar. <laughs> or 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 just not or the person who was the least high in my town. Right. Uh, teaching people guitar. So um, he split that was that. But I played played saxophone. I played saxophone mm. all through high school and uh, my dad played saxophone. My nephew, I have a nephew who, who's like going to college and he's like practically a professional saxophone player. I don't know what it is about the saxophone and nephews, but there we go. And, um, and so that, that was basically it. But I was mostly just interested in, in uh, lyric writing. I, like uh, most pretentious high school students, I wrote poetry in, in uh, high school. <laughs> and so I had an idea about meter and all this other stuff. Um, and so I wanted, to, I wanted to write songs and sing songs I just didn't. I just couldn't. Didn't have the capacity to play the guitar um, or play the piano. Something about uh, my brain uh, wiring down to my hands just doesn't work. I can type, but I can't do the other stuff. <laughs> okay. It, it does, it's like that was the that was the limit. My hands went. You know what? You learned this. No more. Nothing else besides this. It, this is all you get to do. And so um, I had to find collaborators in order to write music. But I also feel like like doing theater. I just love collaborating. I love collaborating mm-hmm. and being in a band. I love that so much. And I can, I love being at rehearsal. I love making music. I love hanging out. I love doing shows. I like being a part of that, even at my age and the age of the guys or, or the people I, I work with um, mm-hmm. that uh, generally um, we're still doing this stuff. And, and so no, I, I, I sort of did, but mostly wanted to find people who could actually do it better so I could just, do stuff with them right and do more of the writing and stuff so that no it's great it's great right um, yeah and then lastly and then we'll start pulling that. some plays and writing and getting into that any sure. sports did you play sports growing up or anything like that oh absolutely not nothing okay zero um <laughs> really did you try anything a... no i was terrible no? i'm terrible i'm terrible at all that stuff i'm a fan like i in my hometown uh, the Newton Cardinal football team was everything, everything, absolutely everything in my town. It was, it was like Friday Night Lights, like that show. Uh, it was a football <laughs> town. And um, when I was, uh, I think, 10 years old, we went to state. It was a big deal. And people, that came, they, like, everybody talked about football. That's all you thought about. So I'd go to all the games. And so I know a lot about football, um, to watch a lot of football. I wrote a play called Gas for Less. We did the Goodman. It's all about the Chicago Bears. And, um, okay. <laughs> but I remember being at a football game and some jerks, I'll call them jerks, whoever they were, whoever you are, you're jerks, were like, you don't play sports, you don't do anything. And I remember, because I was very into like computers and stuff at the time, I'm like, you don't need to know how to play sports to sit in front of a computer. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you that, that, that sounds like a, like a, uh, that's the nerdiest zinger I think uh, anybody's ever said. So I see it still plagues <laughs> <That's> me. 
that I said that. But so the answer to your question is a big resounding nope. No. I can throw a football. Okay. I can I can shoot a basket. I am no good at any of that stuff. Awful. Well, I'm sure you're not awful, but it's not your cup of tea, so to speak. So. No, I'm terrible. <laughs> awful. Just like my kids. My, my, my daughter is terrible, too. Uh, is she? Christy, oh. my wife is terrible, too. We're a, fam- we're a family of bad at sports. Just, okay. Okay. Oh, and how, how old is your um, How old is your daughter? Uh, they are uh, 16. They're 16 right oh, now. Oh, you have two. And, uh, they're, they, they, no, no, uh, they're non-binary, oh. so uh, they're they, them. And so... Uh, they uh, are uh, in the theater too, but like okay. sound, which is kind of a mix of all the stuff that I'm doing. They do the they they run like the soundboard. They help with sound design, wow. that kind of stuff. But interestingly, you know what they want to study? I'm talking to you. Forensic pathology. That's what they want. They want to go to they want to go to school for forensic pathology. They're going to forensic pathology camp this summer in Washington D.C. So very interesting. Uh, I know. Well, again, I don't. So, that's not my area per se. But if they have nope. any psychology questions or they're ever in, I'd be more than happy to speak. Um, oh, that would be wonderful. With them, yeah. So if you ever, I need will any, let them know. Yeah, I will, I will, absolutely. I will let them know. Absolutely. Um, okay. So I know that um, where you grew up, uh, plays and things like that were far and few between, right? And um, it was your parents uh, who had... theater. There's community theater, yeah. Okay, community... But I remember it, I remember reading about how, like, <laughs> just where you were in Ohio, there wasn't, like, a lot of... Maybe it was, there wasn't a lot of exposure, so to speak. So it No, was, there wasn't. I mean, I, I did some... I did, like, high school plays. I was... I, I loved going to see, uh, I don't know, like, uh, uh, South Pacific at the community theater at the Y. My dad okay. took us to some like college shows. I remember seeing the Cherry Orchard at University of Northern Iowa, but that was more my sister wanted to go. I remember okay. talking about it in the front seat while I sat in the back and be like, I don't know, what are you talking about? So not a lot of exposure though. <laughs> okay. So in school, you, you mentioned, and we'll start tying in how your interest in poem writing and, and acting and all that stuff comes up. <laughs> you know, school was not your thing. So you know, if you no. if you feel comfortable sharing it, what were some of your struggles in school? What were the subjects or areas that you know were were difficult for you? And what were the areas that you it excelled was, in? I don't know if I excelled in anything. Um, oh, no. uh, I was I was okay at some stuff. Like I got D's. I rarely got an A. C's usually, and sometimes D's. Um, I think I my attention span, as you can probably understand, of all the stuff mm-hmm. I'm describing, was was terrible. I really had a hard time um, concentrating on uh, stuff. Um, and, and, and nobody, not like, and I probably should have been evaluated or something back then, but that, they didn't do any of those things. It was just I know, like, I know he, what needs you mean. To, he needs to, he needs, yeah, exactly. He needs to focus more or he needs to um, uh, uh, apply himself. That was the word. He doesn't apply sure. himself. And um, I didn't really understand what that meant. And I don't think anybody else did, too, because my mom would say, it says here you need to apply yourself. I'm like, well, what else? <laughs> does that just mean, you know, knuckle down or whatever it is I'm supposed to do? I, I liked, like, occasionally there would be something like, suddenly I was surprisingly good at biology. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> okay. I was, I, I was occasionally good at, I don't even, uh, you know what, uh, uh, speech speech class. I could do that one. 
probably why I ended up doing theater stuff is because I was I found myself good at it um, amid all of the things I was bad at or marginal at um, theater. I found um, I had uh, capacity to find uh, I pay attention to like I could I could focus I could learn my lines I could be on stage I love mm-hmm. that stuff um, I, and as a result I loved writing for theater back then too. Um, like I was in an English class, the first play I ever wrote, I was in English class, um, uh, and I didn't want to write the paper. I had a hard time writing papers. Mm-hmm. And I, wrote, I asked if I could, I asked if I could adapt, uh, Julius Caesar by William Shakespeare. And the teacher, Mr. Prawl said, uh, sure. And so I adapted Julius Caesar into a, into a modern version that took place. Um, in a, on a, in, this is terrible, on a Louisiana plantation during the Civil War or something like that. It was, I wasn't okay. doing, uh, even thinking that that was a good idea. But um, I did that instead, and I, I think I got an A- minus because I wrote it in pencil or something. But um, the, when those surprising sort of grades would happen, it angled me toward what I do now. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I was, I, was, I was crap, embarrassingly so. No, but I can, and again, not that I'm going to talk on the air about it, but I totally can relate to what you're saying. I mean, I was someone who eventually was able to get straight A's, but it was because I spent hours and hours and hours studying and finding creative ways to deal with difficulties, like you would say. I didn't know I even had that then, but it did get more challenging when I got into the master's and doctorate level. You know, the stuff that I was doing, I had to really shift and and learn other ways to do stuff because, right, the, the... Stakes were higher, so to speak. So I can relate to what you're saying where, right, people would think, what's wrong with you? Just just do this differently or, you know, <laughs> so I know what you mean. I know what you mean with that. Yeah, stuff. and I mean, um, I, can, I can even feel it as I talk about it. It makes me nervous. Uh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to cause any anxiety It makes me nervous and just anxious just to talk about school. I mean, I'm in school right. all the time. I teach. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a professor, right, but only right because I'm a I'm a professor because I watched a lot of TV, not because I paid attention necessarily or paid attention, or I, I found school difficult, um, and uh, and so it, it, I'm just I'm I'm just uh, fortunate that that it it ended up that way. But yeah, it was uh, well, that's it was hard. It was hard in college too. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's been a long week. I'm sorry I didn't tie the two together. That actually is a very ironic thing in a way. You know, the thing that was difficult for you, you're actually doing and you know i mean northwestern is not some you know slight school that that's amazing talk just while we're talking about yeah. school real quick just pull that in now how did you get the position there and you know start working at northwestern in 2005-2006 uh right before my uh daughter was born um i i interviewed for a, a job at, in the department as a lecturer um started a, a new uh, graduate program writing for the screen stage. And then um, we're hiring some um, lecture positions, which are full-time non-tenure track positions outside the adjunct. Okay. And um, I got hired as the first lecturer um, and uh, was there for a year. And then we, and then um, we, we, Chris and I decided we were going to move to LA. And right. so we moved to LA in 2006. And then during that time when we were in LA, um, I, we both really missed Chicago, got a little homesick, um, 
not a big fan of LA, and I'm and also uh, I just I also miss teaching. And so I mentioned to uh, the guy who hired me, my friend Dave Tolchinsky, um, who was the uh, uh, chair of the department at the time. Um, I'm like, hey, if my old job comes back, just let me know. And um, he called me uh, in 2012, 2011, and said, hey, your old job is available you, you want it i need to know like in a few days i'm like oh crap what <laughs> oh no and so i had a conversation with with kristen with my wife and um we decided i'd go try it for a year on my own and i and then if, if we if we really wanted to go then the whole family would come back so okay. uh we ended we ended up uh moving back here and and uh that was 10 years ago so i've been back at uh back in north coast for 10 years teaching Wow. TV writing and screenwriting mostly and occasionally playwriting. That's amazing. Right. And that's interesting, too, that you're doing actually teaching more screenwriting when, you know, not that you don't do <laughs> that, but, know. you know, a lot of the stuff you do is, is more playwriting. So that's just it's cool. That's cool to see yeah. just those different different sides of yourself. Um, that's true. So getting back to just let's talk fast forward a little bit so we can get into kind of college and jobs and then get into, of course, more of your writing. What um, schools did you apply to after high school? I know eventually you chose the University of one, Iowa, but one school. Oh, that's it. <laughs> well, my school, I thought I was again, bad. I was getting yelled at because I would only choose no. like two or three. No, the, okay, where, I, where I, I mean, nobody. A lot of kids in my high school didn't go to college. Um, okay. Some of them did, and we, we all, a lot of us went to school in state. I mean, in state tuition was the cheapest. Uh, sure. It 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 the my town is not. My, my 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 the town I grew up in is not super. It's it, it's it's a it's an odd little town. Um, it has affluent parts, or it did back then. All the executives from uh, Maytag living in these giant houses, and then you had like the factory employees living in these in in and not these giant houses. And um, it's, it's sort of separate that way. So it's a lot of have and have nots in that town. And it, and and from occasionally reading the Newton Daily News. It, still like that. And um, so I had, my sister went to University of Iowa, so that's where I was going to go. I think I went and visited Grinnell College or something like that, um, which is close to my hometown too. But mm-hmm. I went to Iowa because I went to Iowa. I got in, my grades were not good. <laughs> so it would have been hard no matter what. It didn't even occur to me. It did not even occur to me that I could apply anywhere else. But oh, okay. the theater department of the university, the theater department at the University of Iowa, especially at that time, was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. The people who were there, um, a lot of them, the people I were, was friends with in college, people, some people that I'm still friends with, um, were have all gone, a lot of them have gone on to either being like chairs of the department at, at different colleges, artistic directors of theaters, um, working actors, um, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. Uh, working directors, it was just like this. It was like a magic time at Iowa in the late '80s, early '90s, and I just happened to accidentally uh, be there for that, and it was <laughs> very in- incredibly inspiring. And and that's cool. And I'll say accidentally because I applied to one school, and and <laughs> right. just happened to be the one that at the time when things were were booming. So um, it it ended up being it ended up being real. A really great experience, and uh, Kirsten Fitzgerald, who um, is artistic director at uh, a Red Orchid Theater, I met her at Iowa. Uh, Kirsten was a grad student my senior year, 
of oh, my undergrad. And, um, and so we've known each other since I was, whatever, 20 years old. So for a very, very That's long cool. time. That's cool. Wow. Yep. Now, was, was college, again, because you were majoring, of course, in theater and playwriting and acting, was it challenging for you like high school or not really because you were really in your element now and you knew what you <laughs> wanted to focus on? Well, unfortunately, University of Iowa is a liberal arts school, so I had to take classes that weren't theater classes. Um, right. And That's so, right. like, Sorry, yeah. I did, I got, like, a D in Spanish. Uh, my poor <laughs> grandmother um, was uh, oh. flabbergasted by that. And, um, but it was, like, at 730 in the morning, and I, I don't know, I really have no excuses, except for I just didn't do very well. <laughs> I just didn't have the abilities. And, but so in my theater classes, I did great. In my other classes, I did okay. Just like in high school, I did okay to not so great. And um, I remember my dad, after I got that D, he said, well, a D gets you a degree. I said, well, that makes sense. It rhymes. <laughs> so therefore, it makes sense to me. And so, because um, my dad, he was a terrible student in high school. And when he got into college, he was, he was great. Um, yeah, and I did well, okay. Your dad went um, to like, wait, hold on. Where's my notes here? Hold on. Let me see what your dad college. I got. He did. He yeah, went, he went to he the Polytech State University. Yeah. I know. He's doing so, Cal Poly. He went to Pierce College. Pierce College is in Cal Poly. He's, I mean, he has a soil science degree. And um, wow. he's, he's, he's super, super smart. And, um, and so, you know, I was a bit of a dud in college uh, academically, except for in things that I was interested in. And what, I mean, sure. what are you going to do? And so the things I was interested in, I super excelled. I got like scholarships every year. I, I, I mm-hmm. had instructions. I was writing a lot. I was in charge of things. I was very, very invested. Um, and um, so uh, it, it's like it was a, a, a two experiences at the same time. The theater stuff was, was wonderful, and the other stuff was, uh, it was like, ugh, I felt it was like embarrassing. Oh. But again, like you said, the theater stuff we can reframe outweighed, hopefully, the other challenging <laughs> yeah. stuff you had. <laughs> It did. Right. And now it's my it's, it's it's been my job for many years now, and so I can say, well, I was right at that age uh, to pay attention to the right things. <laughs> now, what made you really quick? While we're talking about college and stuff, um, what made you decide to? Because again, you were already pretty established, you know, with with your playwriting. What made you decide to pursue an MFA um, a little later on at at Spalding University? Um. The at Northwestern, in order to use to advance, uh, to oh. get on the track, you need an in in MFA, and so right. after talking to some folks down there, specifically Rebecca, um, I they I think Rebecca had gone to visit Spalding, and she and she was like, oh, this is a great school, you should go do that, and it was also it's a uh, it's a remote, you can do it remote, you can do it remote, nice. um, and, and so it's a low residency MFA, so I would be there for a couple weeks and then do everything else remote. I mean, that sounds like, of course, these days, because we do everything on Zoom, but back then it was it was kind of wild. It was just oh, conversations sure. on the phone. But I would say that it was it was a great experience. Um, our dorms were the Brown Hotel in Louisville, uh, which is like a super nice old hotel with um, <laughs> old fashions and things like that at the bar. Uh, Zezerak. <laughs> and uh, and a hot brown and all that kind of stuff. And so um, we had a, I had met some wonderful people and had a really a really nice time and, and uh, relearned a lot of things. Got rid got rid of a lot of bad habits and um, 
and and ended up with that MFA. Great. Great. Yeah, you're right. Because when you're teaching at the, I remember when, because I always have been interested in teaching and right. It's not like I'd have to go back and get some teaching degree. Cause I remember they said as, as long as you have a minimum of a master's, you could teach at a college yep. level. Yeah. So right. that makes sense. And I was okay. there, I was there with my BA and I'm like, well, everybody else here is an MFA. I should probably right. um, kick, kick myself up a little bit. Gotcha. And, well, congrats. Uh, congrats. And it, it helps. Thank you. Great. Great. Yeah, so after, <laughs> there you did it. Absolutely. I mean, hey, you should, you know what? You should, I mean, again, I'm sure you're proud of yourself, but, you know, some of the struggles mm-hmm. that you talked about just with, you know, schooling and stuff. I mean, look at you, BA and an MFA. So, I mean, that's, you know, again, know. that's great. I, there you go. Yeah, there's, I know, there's not too many people in my family with, with an MFA. Um, I wonder if my <laughs> sister has one now. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, it's not it's not like a bunch of people, a bunch of nephews in my family are out there going to college and getting all these things. And and uh, no, it's 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 uh, it was it was a, it was a it was good. It, 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 it helps. It helps everything in my mm-hmm. life. So, yeah, that's great. So going back to graduating from uh, University of Iowa, what, you know, mm-hmm. and getting ready to go now into the, the workforce, so to speak, any interesting jobs, you know, pull in some interesting jobs. I know you had this assistant manager <laughs> position <laughs> at Uncle Fun, which, you know, it's so funny. Oh, it reminds me of a, a store, and it's still actually around here where I live called Spencer's, um, because that's what it has, like, you know, fake barf, and like you said, the strange hats and the weird types of candy. So, Pull in some interesting jobs and, you know, as you're tra- starting to make your way into the, the world of playwriting and screenwriting, you know, tell us about what works for you. What were some of the challenges as you were starting to get into that field? I, I remember my, uh, 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 a guy who was my best man at my wedding, my, my wonderful friend, uh, Greg Armconnect, is this, uh, the guy who was a, a playwright when he was like 18. He was like getting stuff made, things like that. Guy I met at the University of Iowa, too. He lived downstairs for me in the dorms at the at the quad, and uh, he um, was, he moved to New York when he was like 19. Just moved to New York, and he started temping at these places. I'd never heard of temping, like being a temporary employee. Mm-hmm. And so I got Chris and I got married very young. Uh, we got married um, when we were both in our early 20s uh, to, to okay. each other, and um, we moved to Omaha uh, because we, uh, Chris is from Council Bluffs, Iowa. I grew up in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and so we, Chris had a job at a, a mall, like you do back then, and I had, and I was like, well, I'll just temp, I'll just temp like Greg did. So I started taking temp jobs at Omaha, and um, I worked for the UNO, the University of Northern, or University of Nebraska Omaha Bookstore, and I worked for like a lawn chemical company where I was the receptionist with a vat of lawn chemicals about ten feet from me, and oh, uh, I worked, I I worked at other little corporations folding envelopes and signing people's I don't know what. And then um, and I did that for a long time. Then we moved to Chicago or moved to Minneapolis, and I got a job at an insurance company um, an- answering phones. Most of my work was either is was some sort of customer service or mm-hmm. counting things, or either it was either organizing or, talk, or customer <laughs> service. And so I had a, a variety of jobs like that before I got a job at Uncle F- oh, before I got a job at Uncle Fun. And before I did that, I was working at that talent agency. And then I got that job at Uncle Fun. I walked in. I just quit my receptionist job at the talent agency, 
And Ted Frankel, who is the owner, manager of Uncle Fun, who has a shop out, I think, in Baltimore now. Uh, and uh, he, and I had known him from just coming into the store. I love that store so much, and it's legendary in Chicago lore, um, retail lore. Uh, mm-hmm. He, I walked in, and he said, hey, do you know anybody looking for a job? Because he just lost one of his employees. I said, me? I am. <laughs> it's like, oh, I knew it. I knew this would happen. And so he said, let's set up an interview. And we went across the street to Shuba's, um, like a, a few days later, and he interviewed me, and we had some lunch. And then he hired me, and um, I worked there for two, three years um, okay. in the early, early 2000s. And uh, I still dream. It's my stress dream. Uncle Fun is my stress dream. And so I still <laughs> dream about, like, drawers of little tiny chotskis and where they might be. Organizing right. racks of, uh, of of insane uh, old toys and um, standing behind the counter at Christmas time and being very very tired and uh, <laughs> and so among all of the the jobs I had like the 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 day jobs as we call them in the industry uh, mm-hmm. the day jobs I had those those the Uncle Fun was probably the most fun I had and then um, that place with the vat of chemicals next to me where the woman who I worked with smoked like a chimney too. So it was lawn chemicals and cigarette smoke. I would come home and put my clothes immediately in the washing machine. Um, and uh, those were the highs and lows of my day job experiences. But those okay, no, thank you for sharing to, that. Yeah, I've been able to cobble together teaching and writing uh, uh, since then. And it, it's been oh, about 20 years of being able to do that. That's great. That's great. So, yeah, let's get into now. So talking more about the teaching and the writing. I mean, I know that you've been at DePaul University, Second City Training Center. Um, Start talking now about how you really started to get into, you know, writing your plays and then, you know, getting them on the stage, so to speak. Um, Because I know you've been at so many different, there's the Chicago Dramatists, the Stephen stuff in Wolf Theater. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing these correctly. You know, there's been, I mean, and I really want to hone in um, a little bit, you know, in the near distant future about, you know, a Red Orchid Theater, because that's really where a lot of your stuff has been. And and just really quick before I forget, because I wanted to make sure I I said this, I mean, just reading about your involvement with them and and what they're about. I mean, it does feel like family. It's such an intimate space. And personally, if, if I have the opportunity to go to a show where there's a billion people at or a show where there's 20 people at, I'd choose the 20 people show. I like that intimacy, yeah. being able <laughs> to really be, you know, close to the stage if it's going to see a band or, you know, even a comedian. I don't want to be sitting up in some bleacher somewhere where I can barely see them and I'm looking at a screen. So I really, you know, I really could feel it when I was just reading about that theater, just kind of that warmness and that environment and just the collaboration. So. Yeah, start to talk yeah. about, you know, getting into writing and, and really getting your stuff out there. Well, I'm, and I think this may be from University of Iowa. It sort of began there. There was a thing that when I got to school, I'd been around for maybe a four, three or four years, a uh, thing called No Shame Theater that this guy, uh, Todd Rista, and some other folks had started. Um, and it was a, a three to five minute short pieces written, um, and they'd take the first 10, 13, something like that, of the night. It was on Friday nights at 11 o'clock. And you could do anything as long as it didn't destroy the theater. But um, dare to fail was the, uh, was the motto. 
And as soon as I got there, I was I was like, I gotta I gotta get involved with this. And so I was already from uh, from being a teenager, obs- uh, another one of my obsession, obsessed with these small venues, small places, the intimacy mm-hmm. factor, being able to be so close as as first, as first as an actor, and then second as a as a as a uh, a writer. And um, so after that, uh, working with Chicago Dramatists, and I was a resident playwright there, became a resident playwright at Chicago Dramatists. That's a little a little space and, and doing readings there and, and, um, mm-hmm. and then a, eventually a production of my play Drawing War uh, directed by Russ Tuttero, uh, that, it, that I wanted to recreate that experience. I wanted to recreate those experiences again and again and again. I mean, I've done shows in, in, in big places too, uh, big old theaters, but even the one, I'm jumping around a little bit, but even the one That's I did okay, at Royal Court, even the one I did at Royal Court, um, Redbud, is in the upstairs, upstairs theater, big giant downstairs theater, um, and then they have a smaller upstairs theater, um, which is a big black box, and uh, the play takes place in uh, at a motocross event, um, like a campsite for a motocross event. So these tents, they had put real grass in there. They had oh my gosh. Some of tr- actual actual pickup truck and then rebuilt it on stage. This old pickup truck. Wow. It was an amazing set of me, a, a, a show that I still think about all the time. I love that show, and um, but it was uh, a ring of people around this whole set. I think it was a three-quarter sort of ring, oh, not, not a ring, I guess three-quarter uh, audience, but mm-hmm. it's still a very intimate, uh, intimate space. And so uh, that conversation you have with an audience in those intimate spaces is is very important and dear to me i that is storefront theater for for me is in chicago storefront theater specifically is uh uh the 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 most amazing thing and being uh a kid watching Saturday Night live when i was a kid and knowing eventually a lot of those folks came from second city and wanting that intimacy that even i saw on the screen as a kid on Saturday Night live being able that, that to feel like that translates out, imagining Steppenwolf in that same way as a teenager, seeing uh, productions of like True West on public television, mm-hmm. all of that stuff, that, that visceral in-your-face, um, what is it, Tracy, let's say we, we tell it to your face or something like that, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that there's, um, there's that. And it's hard to tell it to somebody's face when you're very far away from them. And I'm also not a big fan of... Actors having to talk like this because right. the audience is so far away. My work doesn't really uh, translate that well when it comes to that. So um, all of those factors. And also one last thing. When I started, when, when I moved to Chicago too, there, were, there was a group um, doing No Shame Theater at Sheffield's Bar on Sheffield. Um, uh, and it was some friends from college. Um, one of whom is my manager still to this day, Megan Schumacher, um, and, nice. uh, but was part of, the, part of that group. And I started performing puppets, little weird adult-themed puppet theater out of a suitcase <laughs> at, in, in the back of a bar at, at back of Sheffield's for small audiences. And then, they were, and then I was like, hey, can I do this as a show? And they had me team up with a, a friend of mine, uh, Doug Simpson, and uh, we did a two-person version 
of the show, and it was 10 short plays. Each, we had 10 cardboard boxes, and each one of those boxes – oh, I'm sorry. There were 30 short plays. Each one of those boxes were oh my three short puppet plays. And we were so, we dressed all in black. We had these hoods. We were intentionally pretentious. The show was intentionally <laughs> terrible. It was so much fun. <laughs> and um, I still feel like I'm making those – still make all these years later – Still making those kind of shows. I mean, the the film scripts and some other stuff are for larger audiences, but I'm really absorbed by those little tiny spaces. Uh, I love those little tiny spaces. Sure. No, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. No, thank you for sharing that. Um, Just a real quick, because I want to, like, again, keep digging into what we're digging into with you in Chicago and working there. Sure. Just. Give us some highlight in terms of when you did move out to L.A. And I, I, the one thing I really thought was interesting when I was reading about that was just how you described it like a hidden object puzzle in one of the kids' highlight magazines, which I, I do remember reading, and I used to like to do those puzzles too. Um, <laughs> no, I thought that was such, an in, such a creative and interesting way just to describe. So just, you know, of course, you went out there seeking, right, TV, film, and, and just opportunity. So yeah. tell us a little bit about going out there, what you were specifically seeking, and then, you know, what happened for you? What were some of the challenges? And, of course, we know that eventually you came back to Chicago. I did come back. Um, and then I'll answer your question about Red Orchid, too. That's one thing I did, forgot to mention. Yeah. Oh, no, uh, we're going to get in, and we're going to get more in depth. I want to talk own. about – go ahead. Um, and, and, well, we moved out there with uh, – we, we had a baby. And I mm-hmm. think we're both like, now's the time. If we're going to do it, we're either going to move to New York or L.A., and um, we chose we chose L.A. Um, because it was the most different from Chicago um, of the of both places. And we had friends out there. Um, uh, Eddie Jemison, who I mentioned, was living out there, and, and they just had a kid who was exactly Leah's age and my daughter's age, and then um, and and some and a bunch of other people, and it was just so different, and so uh, and also. I'm like, I think I want to write for TV. And at the time when we moved, that wasn't really a thing that playwrights did. Um, there were some playwrights out there looking to write for TV, but it was mm-hmm. before all the streamers and all this other stuff, um, before, really before writers' rooms kicked off, before they were hiring playwrights. And I just wanted to get ahead of the curve. Um, something that I try to do, and sometimes successfully, is, is get ahead of like, mm-hmm. the, the trends. And so we moved out there. And immediately, as soon as I got there, I got a show at the Goodman. Um, and so I had to come back to Chicago. Uh, and, that, and as we were there, that kept happening. I kept getting these shows out of town. <laughs> shows back in Chicago. I had to go to London. Um, I was wow. in London for like half a year for uh, Redbud and then subsequently for Redbud again. Oh, and also I was just right before, but I also got a production of Eric LaRue. This mm-hmm. is right before um, we moved. I got a production of Eric LaRue with Royal Shakespeare. And so it was gone for that. So it was, it was starting. It was, it was starting. And at the time, you had to be there for staffing. And really, that's not really – they do that all year long now. But there was a, a window there where they would be staffing for writers' rooms. And I would always be missing for staffing season, staffing season. And right. my, my, my representation at the time – didn't want me to be staffed. They wanted me to create a show, so I was always pitching TV shows too. So I had a lot of appointments pitching TV. I was a, a, a stay-at-home dad pretty much. Um, 
my wife had gotten a job at Warner Brothers and was working five days a week uh, in the uh, image archive department. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Wonderful place, wonderful place to work. And um, so I was home with Leah, a little baby, for the first five, six years of their life, and um, that which was great and still challenging. And so I was writing, uh, being a dad, and then traveling um, a lot. And uh, it, was, it was difficult. It was really hard. And also just really missing my Red Orchid family for, sh- for sure. Because I was doing mm-hmm. shows at Red Orchid still. Doing shows at Red Orchid. And sure. like shows at Writer's Theater, a couple at Writer's Theater and, and some other places. And um, I just knew where my heart was too. Um, I, love, I love TV. Um, I had written a show. I had pitched a show that had almost gotten picked up. And then the guy at at network got fired or he quit. Oh and so they no! Everything he was working on and just and just pushed it away, pushed it away into the beginning. What type of sh- what, what type of show was it? It was an adaptation of a play I wrote uh, at Writers Theater, a play called Do the Hustle, which was about some real low level con people, a, a father and son. Eventually, it was a uh, a father and daughter, and um, it and it was an adaptation of that as a series. And okay. um, there's a couple other factors that went along with that. Um, but it, it looked like it was on its, it was on its way and um, it just got, it just, it just fell off. And um, not that that did it, but entirely, but I do mm-hmm. remember Kristen saying to me one evening, cause they would get all stressed out about this stuff. Sure. Uh, she said, if you don't, if you don't want to write for TV, you don't have to. And that had never occurred to me. <laughs> that I, didn't have, I didn't have to. Right. I moved out here. I didn't have to. And for her to say that was like, okay, well, what else, what else, what else can I do? Um, what else can we do? And I really also, like I said, I did miss teaching a lot. I missed that um, being able to be with writers and talk about writing and talk about the ins and outs and, and um, the examination of writing. And, uh, and so um, we just uh, made preparations to get our, our butts back to Chicago. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So let's now transition back into talking about, um, like you said, <laughs> a, a Red Orchid Theater, and just you know, just your relationship with them. And let's tie in. I mean, very. And I'm excited to see when this does come out as a, a film adaptation. But let's talk about Eric Larue too, because I mean, that was that was a big deal. Sure. And I know that you know Michael Shannon, who's you know an amazing talent, is sure. Um, and just what made you, you know, what inspired you to, you know do something like that because, you know, it's based on the, the mass shooting in 1999 at Columbine. Um, and it's, you know, I'm sure sort of, it's, it's sort of based on that. Oh, sort of. Okay. Maybe um, loosely based yeah, on that. Yeah, I think, but, it, and I told, and Mike mentioned that, but I, well, I'd actually written the play before Columbine. Um, and uh, Oh, okay. What the, the play that I wrote a play, this is, the reason I'll talk about this is because of the first production I had at Red Orchid was the play, was the play Eric LaRue was the first one. And I was, a, I had written a play called Drawing War, about mm-hmm. uh, something that happened when I was in middle school. Um, a guy, a friend of mine, my friend, my friend Matt Bruin, who was my lab partner at school, had um, been killed. Um, he had accidentally uh, oh, found a gun in his parents' a drawer in his parents' house, and he and his brother were messing around with it, I think, and, and it accidentally went off, and he was killed. And oh, um, sorry. there was a lot of speculation in my town as that as it happened. Uh, about what exactly happened, because there was nobody else there but those two. And so the, one of the first plays I ever wrote 
was about sort of inspired, not about, it was inspired uh, by that incident. And mm-hmm. um, it, uh, it wasn't, it, the, some of the themes in there weren't exactly what I wanted to write about um, when it came to um, thoughts about uh, guns. Thoughts about the Midwest and some other things were totally in there and families and responsibility and, and uh, church and stuff like that. But um, I wrote Eric LaRue as like a, a part two of that and that play is about uh the aftermath of a of a of a school shooting mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so funny and um hold on i need to push a button here my sister's that's so strange my sister's calling we were just talking about her oh <laughs> okay um and uh and um about a, uh, the mother of of it's mostly about the mother of the mm-hmm. of the of the of the shooter and I wrote that, and um, I had a reading of it at Chicago Traumatists. Uh, and um, Kirsten Fitzgerald was there, because she and I went to college together, artistic director of Red Orchid. At the time, she was an ensemble member at Red Orchid Theater. And um, she brought that script to Diane Swearingen, who was, is the, um, was the artistic director, was the founding artistic director of Red Orchid Theater. And he called me up, and he's like, "I want to produce this play," and um, and then that and we that was the first play I had produced at Red Orchid back in 2002, and um, 2002, September, yeah. 2004, yeah, no, I think it, no, I, I have, it I that's what I have in my notes, 2002, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, and then not soon, and it went it went it went well. Um, they got good notices. That uh, production turned out real nice, and um. I love working. I love working down there, um, and uh, it, I think maybe oh, not too long after that, I asked Guy. I said, "Hey, would you ever want to think about me being a member of this ensemble?" He said, "Would you want to?" I'm like, "Yeah, I would want to." <laughs> He's all right, and so they had their whatever discussions they had. I ended up joining the ensemble, I think, in 2004, um, and then. Um, I uh, just had my 10th, 11th production with him. We just closed a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, and we'll get into that in a minute, shows, too. A bunch of shows. Yeah, a bunch of shows down there. And then uh, my manager, Megan Schumacher, years and years and years ago, was like, hey, can you, why don't you turn Eric LaRue into a screenplay? And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was, <laughs> I was not applying myself, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> to use what that teacher said, but he was right. Right, was right, 100 myself. years ago, yeah. And then... <laughs> And then, and then um, my my daughter was at uh, camp, um, like uh, I think they were in elementary school or something, and they went to like a or middle school and went to a camp during the summer. And they were sort of gone for like a week or two. I'm like, okay, here's my window to write a screenplay. And so I adapted Eric Larue into a screenplay because um, Megan had been bugging me for ten years, and so um, I did. And then um, we have been doing a show at. Uh, Red Orchid, uh, I think it was Pilgrim's Progress, which is, uh, no, 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 it wasn't. It was, it was the Ibsen play. It was Traitor, I think, um, okay. which was an adaptation of Enemy of the People. And Mike, Mike Shannon had directed it. And I typically give my, my stuff to read uh, just to, you know, to, for, for no reason other than him to give me some feedback. And his feedback is usually like, I love it, or I really dug this, or whatever it is. It's not anything 
too much, but that's all I really need. From, I, have, I have some friends like that. that all I need for them to, to, is if they liked it. I'm like, I right. wrote this for you to, to, I hope you like it. I do that with like Rich, the same thing. And, um, sure. and then like a couple weeks later, he texted me and he said they liked it. And I think I might want to direct it. I was like, what? That's amazing. Are you kidding me? And so, and so he, uh, so for, and this was, this is probably five years ago. Um, and so we just kind of kept at it or he just kind of kept at it, um, with, um, uh, our producer, Sarah Green, um, who had, uh, directed a bunch of Mike Nichols or produced a bunch of Mike Nichols films that Mike was in. And, um, they just kind of hung on to it and kept at it and kept at it, kept at it until they found the money. And, uh, then we shot it this, uh, this summer in August, um, in Wilmington, North Carolina, and it's being edited right now. So um, wow. that's one to, to all uh, the writers out there. Sometimes it takes 20 years <laughs> to, to, to see, to, to actually apply yourself for one and also to get something made. It just, it just takes right. that long. And, and sadly the subject matter is still very present in our lives. So I know, unfortunately, yes. Un- yeah. yeah. So when is, is this going to be released sometime in 2023? Is that the anticipation? I have no or? idea. Um, oh, you don't know. Okay. That, that, no, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm the screenwriter on this. And so I don't, I don't know. Um, it'll, don't know. It'll, okay. it'll get released. It'll get released whenever it gets released. Um, sometime okay. I imagine probably, uh, it'll probably, I mean, it's got Judy Greer and it. it's got Alexander yeah. It's got all these Tracy Tracy Letts in it, which was so amazing to have Tracy there. Um, and uh, it's it's got a, a, just a, a, a great cast and some Red Orchid ensemble members are in it too. Larry Grubb, America Girton, and some. No, oh, congratulations! Some other folks. No, it so, sounds. I'm really yeah. looking forward to seeing it at some point when it does when it does come out. So, congrats. Me too. So let's do I'm this for. for, for <laughs> We're already in an hour and a half in, so but let's do this for time purposes. Um, I know. Sure. See how fast it goes. Um, uh-huh. Let's talk about your your most recent play that that you put out at a Red Orchid Theater titled "The Malignant Ampersands." Is, is am I pronouncing it correctly? You are the Malignant Ampersands. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was again. It was way outside my element when I was reading a little bit about the background and Orson Welles and and a lot of different things. But what just the topic when I read about what yours was specifically about was just you know you know again a really you know some dark qualities to it with this 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 family yeah. that they're all sick and and cancer and tell us again a little bit about how you came up with this topic, which is interesting because it was, you were writing this before COVID hit. So let's, let's pull yeah. in some of that stuff with, unfortunately for, for everyone, especially people in the entertainment industry, like you guys, it, it's been a challenging time before things were able to, you know, you, we were able to, you guys were able to get out there again and perform um, with things being shut down for so long. So talk, yeah, yeah let's was, talk about was the my first show. Go ahead. Yeah. Talk yeah, about your, it was my first show. Sure. The I Verboten had closed and so was the first live theater uh first play that I had uh up uh on the boards um uh since then. And mm-hmm. um it was also a bit of a, a an intention in, in, intended departure from Verboten, which was a, a big old musical 
and I wanted mm-hmm. to write something odd and weird for um, for the stage, not knowing when I was working on it where it would end up. I mean, sometimes I write specifically for Red Orchid. Sometimes I write just something, and it ends up at Red Orchid, um, mostly because of the aesthetic at Red Orchid very much aligns with the kind of stuff I work on. And plus, it's the, the ensemble, they just can I'll lock right in to, to this. And so I, I started writing this um, as something for Michael and I to work on um, uh, with him as a director, another project for he and I to work on. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very surreal um, abstraction of a family uh, where all of them have, uh, not, well, all of them have cancer. And it, it was born from the malignant amp- ampersands, that, that name, um, which was a play on the Magnificent amp- Ampersons, um, the Orson Welles film. And I had mm-hmm. seen that and um, wondered about the family all those years later, uh, inspired to create a 2022 version of this family that had gone through the ringer. And also just talking about cancer in general, just um, as we get older, uh, how it affects our lives, how it affects our families, how much mm-hmm. of it is out there, all these different kinds, all the different medicines, um, my own sort of up and down chronic illnesses that I, I've had all my life uh, that just kind of what, affect And me. if you don't mind, and, if you, I mean, if you don't, if you feel comfortable, what types of, and I think, you know, it's important. I think there's so many people out there that are dealing with stuff yeah. and people, you know, I look at someone like you and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this guy's got the world in his hands and everything's perfect. And it's, no. you know, <laughs> I know. So if you don't mind sharing, yeah. what, is there anything you wanted to share about just your own oh, experiences? Sure. I mean, I've, with, had high blood, I've had high blood pressure since I was in like my mid twenties, which is a genetic okay. thing. My mom, mm-hmm. my mom's side. Uh, I, I often just I just have immunity problems. I, I'm always getting sick with something. I have a my appendix burst when I was in high school, oh, and I didn't know it, and uh, so I got peritonitis and I almost died. And, oh my um, gosh! And so that I'm... screwed up my 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 internals uh, forever. And so that's one of the reasons I can't eat candy now. Um, all of, uh, okay. And then um, and then just uh, some issues with my uh with vertigo which i think i just recently and that's been going on for 20 30 years too that just recently figured out was like a and i don't really talk about this at all uh but it's like a a benign growth on the back of my head that was probably in my head for years and years and years and it just eventually shifted to the back of my head i was getting this horrible headache oh gosh i'm sorry and it just is now they just wanted it to dissolve, and so it's just almost gone. And so it, it's like all of those sort of things. Right. And then some other yeah, weird stuff, <clears throat> including like right when I was in the film, I got COVID. And all of this stuff just sort of has been a – illness has been like part of my uh, – uh, dealing with illness has been part of my life for, for so, so long time. Um, there's always something going on. I feel bad for my for my wife. There's always something going on with me, and so. Um, but thank you for sharing that. And being, I think yeah. sh- oh, I think it's important to show too that, I mean, unfortunately, dealing with all the struggles, you're still you know persevering and pushing forward with everything that you do. And I think that's, you know, we all do. I'm you know I 
can empathize. I have dealt with my own types of stuff. And sometimes it's, it's hard to get yourself motivated, you know, especially when you're not feeling good. Um, yeah. And if my brain, does, my, if my brain's not working, that's the, exactly. that's the big one. Sometimes I, the big I have one. Like I agree. brain fog or bad fatigue. And, and, right. um, and so that's, that's the thing, but yeah, okay. Okay. What back happens to your... is I can, yeah, what I can, what yeah, happens is I can take it and then the abstraction and the mm-hmm. surreal quality of that play are, are a direct, a direct correlation to the way that my um, perception is of life, the world, the way, my, the way the world is spinning, the way that I'm hearing things. If I can, mm-hmm. that uh, I have to, it's really important to me that I don't write the same every time I have to take into account where I am physically not just as sort of emotionally, but certainly mm-hmm. where my body is physic- physically and how I can uh, 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 write this stuff, um, express myself in the place that I am now, both physically and emotionally. And so mm-hmm. if, I am, if I am not able to take on the world in the, in the right way because of the way I feel, then how does that translate into something that I can express? Because that helps me understand how um, I am relating to the, to whatever my, the world, my experiences, the news, uh, my family, whatever it is at that sure. time. And so I can, the demarcations of how I'm doing um, emotionally, physically, I can track over the years. Um, and that's not necessarily that interesting to anybody else but me, uh, but I can, I can see it. And, and malignant ampersands is certainly born from that too, as I can see the illness in that, my, the, my personal illness in that play. Um, and that's, uh, it, it makes it, it makes it very hard to, it made it very hard to participate in and watch. Sure. Um, through sort of uh, uh, that examination, but it made it uh, vital because like you're saying it, the conversation then is other people are feeling this way too. Right. I know, I know as a playwright specifically, because the audience is there, I know that there's people who are, can relate to this. Or I hope, I should say. I hope there's people, there's people can relate to this. And so I'm going to put it out there and say, anybody else feel like this? Anybody else having these problems? Mm-hmm. And then the feedback that I can get um, creates the conversation that I'm looking for, the artistic conversation I'm looking for, um, so that the work means something, that the, that the Back and forth is happening, and um, it isn't just—it uh, isn't just an entertainment. It's meant to be entertaining too, but it also has a purpose. That the, Absolutely, the, it's purpose-driven art, and that's the—that's the goal. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I think, I mean, I would, I would love an opportunity to see that one day. Yeah, when I was just reading about it, like I said, it was just, it was like on another planet because reading the background about it because I wasn't familiar with that stuff. So I'm trying to like study it like, all right, but no, I think, and I think that's, that's a really interesting word you use purpose-driven art because clearly all of your plays, you know, they're, they're deep. Um, the meanings behind them and, and the topics <laughs> well, that you're talking them, about. Would... <laughs> well, not me, but I'm Sometimes saying things like Eric LaRue. Well, I'm, oh, just sure. the ones we're, I'm sorry, just the ones we're kind of hitting on right now, just in terms of, you know, That's the true. time we have and stuff. Like the, the, yeah. pu- the, pu- the, pu- the puppet theater in the back of the bar. No, 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 loud, not, I know. I would no, that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, I would love the comedy of and that. I still no, love, I love that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, no, I love comedy. Um, but no, yeah. thank you for sharing that. And congratulations with, I mean, you guys had a long run 
uh, with that, did, you know, at, at Red Orchard. Yeah. Yeah, congrats. Yeah, and it's, it's a difficult time, too, because, I mean, people just, as you know, you go to shows, it, it, people don't really go out as much as they used to. I mean, things have changed. Right. They're not going back. They're not, we're not going to go back to that. And so the people that come out are people that really want to be there. And so we have to make sure that we're doing stuff that uh, is, is with, with that knowledge that um, they're there to, to converse. So let's, let's make sure our conversation is strong. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm sure you guys delivered for the audience. I'm sure you did. Definitely. So, yeah. yeah. So what's in, what's some of the, you know, just, just briefly, if you want to, what's in store for 2023 in terms of anything that you want to promote? Um, of course, plug yourself in social media sites where people can find you, follow you, et cetera. Well, there's a few, I mean, uh, I, I am tired. Um, so, so yeah, no, that's I'm going to let you wrap up, too, because I'm sure I've taken a lot uh, of you. <laughs> no, no, I meant I'm tired. Like, 2023 to me seems like I need a – because we, we made Night 10 that was released, in, which is the Shutter film, was released in February 2022. I did – I shot the film over the summer. We did Malignant Ampersands. In the meantime, I'm working on uh, another play and another play and, um, and then other screenplays. And and stuff like that. It's it's it's. Uh, I'm I'm really feeling um, like especially post COVID. I should say, I'm still sure. I'm still I'm still getting affected. I'm still a little affected by it, and so um, I'm 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 a little weary. And um, which but so the things that are coming out um, uh, are just stuff with uh, the last afternoons, which in my and Paul and John and Russ's band, um, which is a little power pop band. Um, we're, we're recording in, in uh, January, we're recording a new album, our th- it'll be our third album. Cool. And so that I'm excited about. And then Rich and I, our little duo, The Breaks, we play up here um, in, in the, uh, the uh, ex-urban countryside, at, uh, often at a, a place called Harbor Brewery, which is just down the street from us. And we're going to be recording February and March. With our, we're, we're part of a, <clears throat> Rich and I are part of a sound collective called the Ice Core Collective. Which uh, which was born from a piece we did a, a piece we did called American Bottom, which was a a, a sound based book um, uh, that I, was something that I wrote that other people contributed to, uh, or I should say collaborated with. My my everything else was my my words were the, the least interesting thing that were, were that were part of this. It was artwork and, and sound and acting and and it was a, a beautiful book length audio experience, an audio book, art audio book. And so it, the people that we made that, including myself, we now have a collective called the Ice Core Collective. And we're taking that collective <clears throat> with the breaks and we're um, joining that together and making um, an album of, of music that will be both an ex- a sound experience and, and sounds too. And so there's a, some other projects with the Ice Core Collective that um, – that, uh, we, that we continue to work on. We meet every Friday morning. We have for the past two or three years, every Friday morning, oh, wow. and just talk about projects. And um, that's been really exciting. And then uh, as far as plays and, and film stuff goes, I mean, the, the movie, Eric LaRue, we'll see what happens with, with that release. As you said, we'll see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't know, I don't know when. And, um, and then some other projects, on the horizon, I tend to um, ride ahead of myself. 
uh, I, I used to have a number of commissions, and commissions are few and far between these days for everybody, <laughs> for all playwrights. I think theaters are, are not handing them out um, uh, okay. that much because of, of just money and uh, right. profits and, and money. And plus, I mean, I've had, I've had my share of fairs. Give those commissions to, to other people for sure because I can write. I can just write. And, um, right. and it's nice to get paid, but I can also just write. And, um, and so uh, I, I have a, a, a bunch of screenplays that um, are, are – I have a number of horror screenplays, a number of dramas uh, that, I, that are just there that I wrote They're over there. COVID. Cool. Um, okay. I have, I, have like seven, I have like seven or eight of those. <laughs> I have oh, my gosh. A couple play, I have a, a couple plays that I wrote over COVID, and then I'm working on a, another screenplay right now that will be done soon. And then, um, and then working with Jason on a, a new project, and then working with um, another well, friend. It of sounds like you got a lot, <laughs> even though yeah. you need a break. A it sounds like yeah. you got a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah, and I typically oh. have a lot. I, I get, I get, I get answers very, very easily. This goes back to mm-hmm. my attention span is very, very small. <laughs> well, it's it's been absolutely amazing having an opportunity to interview and and of course you're always welcome back on in the future and maybe we'll do a, a music interview and focus on just music you know what i mean or or actually you know what i want to do next next october i want to do like a, a horror halloween interview with you because then we can go back and forth you know going over different movies and i would love to do something like that that'd be great um yeah let's let's do, let's do it anytime carrie this has been fantastic thank you so much yeah please um and before you go just please of course plug where people can find you, follow you, et cetera. Oh, yeah, you know, on, on, on your typical spots. I don't know about Twitter these days. I mean, it's kind of, kind of gross. Uh, but you can find me there. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. It's just, just you just Google me. And then always find me at a, a Red Orchid Theater. And please help, you know, that's the that's theater in all of Chicago. That's my home, the most interesting mm-hmm. place in my mind to make theater. The artists there are just incredible. And uh, we've got a, a, a show coming up in the – in the spring, um, uh, is that is, and uh, that's going to be a great show too. And so um, you can you can find me at the theater, and um, yeah, uh, that's 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 me. Okay, um, yeah, and just so people know, if anyone tuned in late or they can't tune into the interview, it'll be available as a you know a podcast to stream or download for free probably within like 15 to 20 minutes after we end. So, you know, I'd greatly appreciate it if you Excellent. could share it for people that weren't able to listen. Cause it was just, it was fantastic. Like you said, it was just a really cool interview learning about you and your life story. <laughs> and no, it was, it was great. I mean, we could probably do well, another you know, hour, but you, Carrie, you're talking to somebody who loves to talk. I love to talk <laughs> um, if I can about, especially about like this kind of stuff. I love to talk about just, about work. I love to talk about work and um, I will just fill up time with talking and, um, and, 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 and then I'll be quiet for a couple of days. <laughs> I, I do love to talk. No, we did an excellent job. It was again, just really, really phenomenal to have you on and to, to get this experience to, you know, hopefully people can hear this interview and, and really learn a lot of others, a lot of other things about your background. Well, thanks for thanks for the questions. They were fantastic too. Thank you, thank you. So yeah, so we will welcome. definitely be in touch. As I mentioned, you're always welcome back on. So let me know what you're up to, and of course, I'll be seeing you on Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff too to follow what you're up to too. But yeah, thank you so all much. Right. It was an absolute pleasure, Brett. 
Thanks. You, thank you, Carrie. Okay. Take care. We'll be in touch. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everyone, again, Brett Neveu and uh, award-winning screenwriter and playwright. Please check him out. As we mentioned, he's on Facebook, he's on Instagram, and if you Google him, you'll find a ton of stuff on him. What a, what a fascinating uh, and amazing uh, person that I had the opportunity to interview today. So also, please, if you're interested, follow me on Facebook um, at The Carrie Edelman Show. That's where you can find my new posts about upcoming shows. I also have a personal page if you want to befriend me. I'm also on Instagram at Carrie Edelman. And, you know, go to iTunes and iHeartRadio. And, again, I have probably about, at this point, over 250 interviews with musicians and writers and comedians and now playwrights. Um, So check it out. You'll really see some different stuff that I do with each of my guests. I'd like to say that no interview is the same, and you're really going to learn some unique and, and interesting backgrounds on the guests that I have on my show. So thank you so much for tuning in and have a great day.